The Super Bowl is finally over. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs and Taylor Swift's boyfriend for winning Super Bowl 58. Today on the Hit It Here podcast, we're going to be talking about the ceiling for Julio Rodriguez and what to expect in his third year, as well as some spring training battles that we need to keep an eye out over the next month or so. We're just like a week away from the Mariners reporting, to, or at least pitchers and catchers, reporting to spring training. And we're going to finish it up by talking about Dom Canzone from our Discord. We have a Discord. They brought up some podcast questions, and Dom Canzone was one of them. So we're going to finish out with that. Thank you guys so much for watching episode 60 of the Hit It Here podcast, part of the Believe Network, the Seth Frankoff episode. Joe? Joe, how are you? Dude, who is that? I genuinely don't know if I've ever heard that name before ever in my life. He, he was one of, I believe, the Mariners' top relief prospects in 2020. News to me, guys. News to me. I am doing very, very well on this fine Sunday evening. And post-Super Bowl excitement, you know, Julio was there. Luis Urias, I think, posted that he was there. Julio t- tweeted a photo from his view of the everyone on the field saying, like, I'm ready. I want it more than anything. And that kind of got us thinking, you know, what what should Julio's, maybe not his expectations, but like what could be his ceiling? Something that could take us to the promised land of the World Series, theoretically, for this 2024 season in his third year. And we, we want to look at some other Mariners greats, some young, talented, very prolific athletes in the Mariners organization coming up. So we're going to take a look at Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez, but quickly a word from Bet Online. The Super Bowl is done and dusted, but you know who's not done and dusted? Bet Online. And with the MLB season coming next, and all baseball fans can rejoice because the Super Bowl is done. That means it's baseball season. We've got next. And Bet Online has you covered all season long, even before the season starts. And say you're, you know, wanting to continue to play some bets until the MLB season really kicks into gear. The NBA and NHL are right there readily available for you. And BetOnline has the best up-to-date news, odds, trends, and predictions for all your betting needs. And they've got you covered with desktop access and mobile access as well. With that being said, with the MLB season rolling around, the Mariners looking like they're in pretty good shot to make a run at this thing and with how the odds are set up right now it might not be a bad idea to maybe make a cheeky little bet for the world series i've got some good faith that bet online has us covered all season long and that the mariners will do us some justice this year as well bet online the game starts here it's not to say that julio has been a slouch in his first two years he's been very very good in 2023 in his second year a 128 ops plus a step back from his rookie season of 147 but across the board he was a bit more consistent the whole year i'd say and he put up 32 homers he drove in 103 runs he himself scored 102 times for a 275 333 485 818 slash good enough for an mvp4 finish and another silver slugger added to the mantle colton would you give julio a passing grade i would say for the 2023 season like how good of a passing grade like julio gets a b plus for for 2023 i think the thing that really stands out is other than the month of august julio was not playing up to his potential and i think that we can all agree on that like sure we saw flashes of julio rodriguez that we know and love but the first you know i wouldn't say the first half because i don't have his stats pulled up in front of me but at least like the first month or two julio was just kind of eh And we all know how good Julio can be. He showed it in the month of August. So I think that when you look at a full season for Julio Rodriguez and what it would look like, in both of the years that he has been in the major leagues, he started out slow. 
I think that if Julio can get off to a hot start and maintain that, you're looking at a MVP caliber player in Julio Rodriguez, a guy who's going to hit 30 home runs, hit up near 300, a guy who is going to put up a 140, 150 OPS plus year in and year out. Julio Rodriguez is that kind of guy that can put this team on his back and lead them to the promised land, like you were saying. And I think that what we've seen throughout this offseason for Julio Rodriguez is that he's hungry. Like, he is ready to be that guy. His first two years, yeah, he hasn't really taken on that leader mantle as much as I think we all expected him to, at least in 2023. Obviously, you know, 2022, sure, first big league year. I think that 2023, I really wanted to see him step up a little bit more in that leader mantle. Thankfully, we did have guys like JP and Gino and whatnot. And coming into 2024, we do still have guys. We got Mitch Hanniger back. Of course, JP's still there. I think Ty France and Cal are both great leaders in that clubhouse as well. But Julio Rodriguez, because of the caliber of player that he is, should be the de facto leader of this team. And I think that 2024 is the year that he really puts that all together and starts out hot and stays hot throughout the entirety of the season and shows just how good of a player he can be and why he's one of the faces of baseball. So I brought up earlier two of the young guys that I wanted to compare Julio to in their third year. The first one, very obviously, is going to be Ken Griffey Jr., another center fielder, a the, the best Seattle Mariner of all time, realistically, I would say. You know, and maybe Julio's on his way to take the crown. It's a little early, you know, maybe we're calling her shot a little early here. But in Griffey's third year, his tw- age 21 season, so he is, that I mean, that's young, okay? That is young, Julio, he debuted at 21, okay? So keep that in mind for where kind of Griffey's at here. But in his third year of games, he put up a 327, 399, 527 slash with a 926 OPS and a 155 OPS plus. That was only good for MVP 9, which is, I think we're going to take a look here at some of the counting stats, which is where that kind of falls off, where I think Julio might have a better chance to step into a larger role, maybe have a greater chance at an MVP top three finish, which he was very close to in 2023. Griffey only hit 22 home runs, hadn't really found the power stroke a ton yet. Again, still only 21, very young. Drove in 100 runs, scored 76 times. The 91 Mariners, like, you know, not going to be as prolific, I think, as the 2024 team. Yes? How many games did Griffey play in that year? 154 games. He had 548 oh, wow. at-bats. So I would have if, assumed, based on the counting stats, he would have had an injury somewhere in there. Yeah, no. It was a full season for Griffey in that 91 season. They went 83-79. and 79. So it was, you know, a middling team at best, whereas you're expecting this Mariners team to be 86, 80, you know, maybe even into the 90s, and Julio to be the catalyst for that offense, driving in runs, scoring runs himself, and just probably pushing 30 to 35 homers, right? So I think Julio can pass some of those things that Griffey did in his third year. The big problem is just the translation for batting average, like those level of stats for Julio. Like if he can get his average above where his career high so far is 284, if he can get it into the 290s, 300s, of course, everything's going to fall in place after that. Hitting 327 almost feels out of Julio's wheelhouse. Like it's going to take an absolute peak. And not to say that Julio can't reach it, because that's what we're talking about here. Is what is Julio's peak? 327 is Griffey's career high. Higher than any of his MVP season. Or higher than his 1997 MVP season, okay? So it's not required. 
But getting into that 300 is just like a completely new ballpark, I think, for Julio and would be a huge step in his direction because there's a little bit of swing and miss in his game. And that's normal, I think, in a modern baseball era. If we're looking at like 30 years ago. Uh, that's a long time. <laughs> we're so old. <laughs> we're so old that we, I mean, we weren't alive then, but that doesn't matter. And I, yes, I, I was a twinkle. All right. Well, you were alive for part of this next guy's third year that we want to talk about. The the previous Rod in Seattle, Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod. Was that dumb? That was kind of dumb. I'm just going to move on. Dude hit 358, Colton. You're laughing. He hit 358 in 146 games. I'm just going to keep going. Alex Rodriguez in 1996, 146 games, had 601 at-bats, scored 141 times, led the league in the entire MLB in doubles with 54, had 200-plus hits, 36 homers, drove in 123 RBI, 358 batting average, 414 OBP, 631 slug, 1.045 OPS, a 161 OPS plus, got robbed of the MVP by Juan Gonzalez. To me, I mean, Julio's never, I, like, dude, if any, like, if Julio touches 358, we're going 117. Like, we're winning 117 games, you know? It's it's unfathomable, I think, in today's MLB for multiple people, let alone a guy that runs a pretty high swing and miss strikeout for whatever, like Julio, to be batting 358. So I don't want to set the bar that high, but I think some of the counting stats were like leading the league in doubles. Like, you know, maybe instead of like little pokes here and there that are singles, it's getting a little bit further down the line, getting past maybe where the outfielder can cut it off. He's stretching out into a double or something like that. If he drives, I mean, if he's hitting second or maybe, you know, they put Polanco at second, he's hitting third. There's a lot more run driving and opportunities there for Julio. And I think, I mean, an MVP one finish to me is Julio's ceiling without a doubt in this season. Yeah, I think that when you look, because how many home, home run did A-Rod hit? 36. 36? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think Julio could hit 40-plus. I think there's, there is honestly a year where he could run into 40-plus. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. We've already seen him hit, what, 32 or 33 in 2023 and mm-hmm. 28, I think, the year before that. Mm-hmm. Julio Rodriguez, while he's not going to hit, you know, like the 358s, he's not Luis Arise by any means, but... And for Griffey, for example, I doubt that Julio will ever run a 399 OBP. Sure. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But I think the counting stats, at least compared to those two's third season, obviously they went on to be a Hall of Famer and someone who, you know, if they weren't a jerk and stupid, might be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think that Julio Rodriguez has the potential to reach at least the counting stats numbers, where we're talking 36-plus homers, you know, we're driving in 100-plus runs. And in terms of OPS plus, I mean, it's really, really hard to see a guy that's going to ever predict someone's going to hit, have an OPS plus above 150. Sure. Like that is ridiculous. But I think you're right. I think the MVP one, like just winning the MVP outright for the American League is something is what Julio could do. And could he be the best player in baseball in 2024? Absolutely. And I think that because he has that kind of potential, the ball is in his court obviously. And maybe we're not talking about a guy who carries the team on his back for an entire season like it sounds like A-Rod did. But I think that when you look at Julio Rodriguez's potential on a team that is, in my opinion, much better suited, at least than the 91 team, to go out there and win a few more games. How many games did the 96 team win? Does it say on there? You'll figure that out while I keep talking. 85. 85. Really? 85 and 76. I mean, that's the season that the strike happened. Yeah. 
Oh, true. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about the strike. I will also yeah. note Griffey did finish fourth that year in MVP. So it was like a tandem of him and A-Rod. So you're saying like mm-hmm. A-Rod carried, not necessarily like carried on his back, but like, of course, there's no way to deny A-Rod's, like his prowess in that season. Mm-hmm. But you're saying like what Julio can do would be similar in that vein. Right. And I think that, you know, we the Mariners in 2024 don't have a, a team like the 96 team. Where you have like you know Jay Buhner out there, Griffey, etc., multiple Hall of Famers on that team. Mm-hmm. I think that the twenty twenty four team, Julio would have to. He's not going to have as much protection around him, so maybe we can't necessarily expect him to have you know a season quite like A Rod's. But we're talking in that same vein. We're talking in the same realm of possibility of Griffey's third year and A Rod's third year. And like I said, when it comes to his third season, Julio is hungry and is ready to take that next step in his career because. In my opinion, 2023 was a better year for Julio Rodriguez. I know the OPS Plus does not show that, but it was a better year for Julio overall. He became more of a complete player, and I think that 2024 is a year that he actually puts everything together and becomes a perennial MVP candidate for the next 10 years. The big thing for Julio, and it's something that I harped on him slightly, is just the strikeouts. His strikeout percentage is 25.9 in his rookie year, 24.5 last year. So it's still a little bit above league average. I looked at A-Rods, it was like 15%. So you're really going to have to cut down on them heavily. And something that I think could, I mean, that's a big gash to take out of your strikeout, like just part of your game. But Brant Brown, as your hitting strategist, it seems like that's something that could definitely benefit not only Julio, but a ton of players on this Mariners team. And Brant Brown has talked about how he's most excited to work with Julio. Duh. Like, who wouldn't be? Of course. You know, you're a new guy coming into a new franchise, and you've got one of the most talented players in all of MLB. Of course, you're going to want to be like, yeah, this is the guy I want to work with the most. Because you probably see the one or two weaknesses in his game where, you know, he's getting beat by the, you know, fastball high end or he's not turning on inside pitches as much as he was, say, in 2022 where he was in 2023. And, you know, he's maybe bailing out for some pitches that he shouldn't. If you can fix his approach, lower that strikeout percentage, that's definitely something that would, I think, propel Julio to even the next level. And it's something that I don't think is entirely impossible to change you know to to work on it's something that i mean i need to go look at ronald acuna because last year dude put up an insane level of like his strikeout percentage and i don't know if that's a career norm or if that was an isolated incident okay it's a completely it's a complete outlier so his i'm just going to go through it by season 2018 rookie year 25 percent 2019 26 percent 2020 29 percent 2021, 23.6%, 22%, 23.6%. It's consistent. And in 2023, where Ronald Acuna Jr. put it absolutely all together, no doubt, an 11.4 strikeout percentage. He cut it in half. Like, I'm not expecting Julio to jump from a 24 to like a 12 or a 13. If he cuts it down to 16 or 17, that's another, you know, bunch of times where he's putting the ball in play, continuing the line, driving more runs, creating more run scoring opportunities. It's right there. And I think he's right on the doorstep of it as well. I think, and I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Are we setting the bar too high? (laughs) Well, yeah, but yes. I mean, but at the same time, we're like, he's expected. I'm not expected, but this is the expectations that he has welcomed. I think by being so confident in his play. But while I'm talking, could you go check what the MLB strikeout rate was in 1996? It, because I think that 
I mean, the strikeout, was, strikeouts has gone up. Right, yeah. So I'm wondering where A-Rod was at compared to the rest oh. of MLB. But I think another big criticism for Julio, while Joe's looking that up, is that he, we've seen it, and we saw it a lot in 2023, he did not get the clutch hit as often as we would have liked. I mean, it was pretty It was pretty easy to say that whenever he came up in, like, the ninth inning, that, uh, yikers, like, here comes Julio, you know, game on the line here. He didn't get the clutch hit that often. And don't get me wrong, he has had those moments. Like, t- take the Braves game back in 2022, for example. He's had those big moments, but he's a guy that, along with cutting down on the strikeouts, if we can just see him in clutch moments and actually put together some sort of success in those clutch moments, it's going to take him to the next level because as Mariners fans, we just haven't seen it yet. And I think that that will raise him from, you know, a potential superstar. That'll put him into superstar. If we start to see him show up in these big moments. And just to mention Ronald Acuna, like you said, you talk about these guys like Acuna or, I mean, Mookie Betts is one of the best outfielders in all of baseball as well. These guys... They do. They have cut down on their strikeout rate. I mean, Acuna, that blew my mind. But, like, Mookie, for example, I think he strikes out under 20% of the time. And you see some of the best players in baseball, and when they're putting the ball in play, good things happen. And for Julio, for how hard he hits the ball, I can only imagine what a strikeout rate, maybe even just around 20%, would look like for his counting stats throughout the season, for his batting average throughout the season, because when he hits the ball, he hits it freaking hard. And I think that if he was to cut down on that strikeout rate, like you said, with Brant Brown kind of in the fold now, we could be talking about Julio Rodriguez as a 300 hitter, a guy who is driving in runs every chance he gets in the ninth inning or something like that. I think you're right. I, I, I didn't really p- think about the the strikeout rate when it came to like Julio and what's going to take him to the next level. But now that you mentioned that, if there's one thing that if Julio fixes, will bring him into the A-Rod or Ken Griffey Jr. Like, conversation. I think it is cutting down on his strikeout rate. I can confirm with you that your assumptions about strikeout rate were very much so right. In 1996, the strikeout league average percentage was 16.5. A-Rod was under it at 15.6. But, you know, that's that's neither so here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge difference. Just like, What's it at now? 22 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's gone up 6%. Good lord. And almost 30 years it's just it's a different game it really is just a different game overall and like you're mentioning with brant brown i'm excited to see what he can do with julio but also you know maybe we've got we can see a little bit more of that heading into spring training it's super close and we've got a couple spring training battles to look at but not nearly as much as last year last year it was Every single position, maybe not every single position, that's a bit exaggerated. (laughs) It was, you know, we had a couple outfield spots that were like, okay, it was the starting left field and, you know, who's going to platoon out there. There was a bench outfield spot that was available. There was like a potential like who's going to platoon with Colton Wong at second bait. Like there was a lot of different moving parts with the Mariners roster in 2023 coming into spring training where – we were like, okay, Cooper Hummel's going to be part of the fold. Like, Tommy, you know, there's there's names. And we've mentioned them a ton mm-hmm. before. And we don't necessarily need to right now. So we don't get hurt like we did last year. But coming into this season for 2024, Colton, we have a bit of optimism. Because it seems like the roster's more put together and a little bit more deep. To where there's not as many uncertainties and quote-unquote battles. At least on the offensive side, heading into 2024. I think that... On the offensive side, like you said, the position players are pretty much set. We we talk a little bit. The only position that we can really talk about is like maybe 
Dom Canzone platooning with Mitch Hanniger in right field more so than Mitch just playing every game. Like we, I, in my opinion, I think you feel the same way. Dom should be more of a platoon with Mitch than Mitch playing every day. But we'll we'll get into that yes. a little bit more later as we go to talk more about Dom Canzone. We could say that like Rojas and Urias, like maybe there's a battle there. So who's gonna see like the the lion's share of the mm-hmm. at bats? But honestly, I do feel like it will just be a a platoon like you know matchups based position in 2024 maybe we do see Luis Urias in there against right-handed pitchers sometimes I don't know but overall the offensive side of things really does feel set up as it is with that being said there also are a lot of moving parts here and we talked about this a little bit when we were on well mainly when I was on okay locked on Mariners (laughs) interview with Ty and eventually Colby um that they can put Luke Rayleigh over at first base against like a tough righty if they need to, to give Ty a day off. You can move guys around the infield to give Luis Urias a day off, or if you want to give Jorge Polanco a day off. And I mean, even if you do want to like DH Julio one day and give Mitch Garver a day off, you can put Luke Rayleigh in center. Mitch Handiger needs a day off. Go put Dom Canzone out there. So while I don't think that there are as many, I don't think there are as many battles in camp as there have been in years past. I do think that there's a lot more fluidity to this lineup as a whole and how Scott Service and co can really manage these matchups in 2024 compared to how they did the last couple of years because when we had to watch Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty at first base, I wanted to rip my freaking eyeballs out. So now there yeah. are at least one, maybe even two other guys that can fill in over at first base if need be. I think that that was something that just felt kind of unnecessary when we had Mike Ford in AAA. Not to say that I wanted Mike Ford to be a more everyday fixture at first base, but if you're really struggling to try and pencil and tie, or he's you know injured in some capacity, whatever you wanted to call it, and you're willing to go run out Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty, it just it felt a little out of place. Whereas this year, I don't think there's going to be any instances like that. I can't see any really on this roster as it stands. Like maybe they're too patient with Luis Arias and he just doesn't put it back together, even though he's young. And, you know, last year, it seems like an outlier theoretically in terms of his injuries and his production. Look back to 2021 and 2022, where he was a two-ish win player with Milwaukee. Maybe, you know, like there's, there's sure there's some uncertainty, but right now I don't see it as much as I did last year. And I don't think we'll have those instances because of the positional flexibility, like you mentioned. Like ha- being able to just put Luke Rayleigh at first base if we really need to is a godsend, in my opinion. It's something that right now, maybe throughout this offseason, I haven't thought about a ton. And I really don't want to think about it because I really want Ty France to bounce back. Theoretically, you know, like realistically, that's that's kind of what everyone wants. If you don't, I don't know what you're thinking about being a Mariners fan, personally. That's just kind of, that's a little bit bizarre that you don't want a player or your team to be good. But that's neither here nor there. So having the ability to put Luke Rayleigh there if you really need to, and just the amount of, I think, quality depth that you have in the outfield, sure, there's maybe room for one more guy out there. If you are super worried about the injury history with Mitch Hanniger and maybe you're like, oh, Luke Rayleigh's a prime regression target. Of course, there's there's a bit, your ability to add someone on the free agent market for 6 to $10 million, whatever you think the Mariners have left to play with, it's there. Do I think that happens? Probably not, just because... With how it's set up, I really feel like if they're going to add anything else, the Mariners have just been keen on just picking up any reliever that they can throughout this entire offseason, and that's where the main spring training battle is probably coming in 2024. Before we get to that, can I mention one more thing on the position player? Oh, of course. So I think that they're also banking on, I guess two more things. They're banking on 
instead of adding, you know, like the Jorge Solares or whoever they could go add, Tommy Pham, what have you, they're banking on maybe Kane and Smith and Jigba, you know, if, if Mitch gets hurt, just being able to, you know, be that fourth or fifth outfielder guy. Because obviously Dom Canzone will probably go out to right field at that point. Mm -hmm. But Smith and Jigba could then come up and be your fourth or fifth outfielder if you need him to be at that point. Obviously, Zach Deloach is gone now, but you still have Cade Marlowe. You still have Taylor Trammell. There are guys that you could have fill in that aren't going to absolutely kill you out there. And with how much stronger this lineup is, one through nine, I think that you're okay with giving a few at-bats to Marlowe, Trammell, Smith, and Jigba throughout the entirety of the season, if you have to, just depending on need, if Hanniger gets hurt or Luke Rayleigh regresses or what have you. Mm -hmm. And they also have the money to go out there in midseason if they need to go make a trade. Also, I think that, and because I'm only saying this because I know that we'll see it in the comments, the only other th spot that I could see some sort of positional battle be is if Ryan Bliss forces their hand. If sure. Ryan Bliss comes into spring training, just hitting just 350. Tears the, yeah, tears the cover off the ball. Maybe we see Urias or somebody not play well, or God forbid we see somebody get hurt. If Ryan Bliss forces the hand of the Seattle Mariners, then sure. Maybe then they bring him up out of camp. And he breaks camp with the team. I would put it at like maybe like a 10% chance of happening, barring an injury, of mm -hmm. course. Even if there is an injury, I would not be shocked to see the Mariners go pick somebody up instead of giving Bliss the opportunity just because he does need more work down in AAA. People are going to mention Taylor Locklear. He's he's not ready. Taylor? You know? Tyler. You got, Jesus. You got, you got the Swifties Taylor on the brain. I, I got the Swifties. <laughs> Let's say Taylor Trammell. But yeah, yeah the Swifties yeah. on the brain. Yeah. Tyler Locklear, people are going to mention, he's not ready either, you know, but these are probably, those are probably the next guys up, is yeah. Ryan Bliss and Tyler Locklear. But I would say at the earliest we see him as midseason, but if you want to talk about positional battles in spring training, you could look at them and say, hey, maybe they have the slimmest of chances, but if they tear the cover off the ball and force the mayor's hand, sure. Yeah, that's definitely something where, like, it's going to take them playing well in spring, and it's nice, it's just nice depth to have it, it is a i think what's the word i'm trying to say commodity i guess it's not right but I, it's close enough that like if you have tyler locklear coming in yes luxury luxury that's the same one that i messed up the other like last time i that happened it's a luxury to potentially have ryan bliss who can go out there and steal a bag in any moment's notice and play decent second base and maybe have some sneaky pop there if he's hitting well okay you, yeah you hey. get what i'm saying no, yeah, let's just move on. Okay, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna move on to the pitching side of things now. And yeah, you talked a little bit about the bullpen really being the place where we're going to see some battles. And even even if we do see some battles out there, like let's say like Joey Crable is out there, you know, blowing it by guys, pumping down. gas. Yeah, like it's really, in my opinion, going to come down to what guys have options and what guys don't, because. When we talk about the bullpen, obviously, you know, we have the big three at the back end. We're going to see Gabe Spire, probably Taylor Saucedo out there as well. And then maybe Trent Thornton is going to be out there. So we're talking one, maybe two spots in the bullpen. I would assume Austin Voth is going to be another guy that's going to be probably be locked in. Mm -hmm. um, probably one, two spots out there in the bullpen. And it's going to come down to what guys can they send out of AAA and stash if they need to. So even if... I'm, I don't know guys' options off the top of my head, but let's say Joey Crable's out there, you know, with a 0-0 ERA, but he has an option, and then we see, I don't know, Kirby Snead out there with like a 3-4 ERA in spring training. We're just going to talk very base-level stats here. They probably still go with Kirby Snead 
because he doesn't it, have an option. And then if he didn't have the option and Crable did, yeah. So it's definitely yeah. It's down to flexibility. Like that's the whole point of this like topic is just like how deep and flexible the Mariners roster is compared to previous years. And I think the quality of depth is there compared to last year. I mean, yeah, sure we have like decent amount of guys that we could kind of like call up and down but like i'm looking at the the guys we have on our in our what's called the pile on mariners twitter of the mariners bullpen arms there i don't think there's a jb bukowskis in there not you know i don't think there's that level of guy and if there is they'll be gone by may and so you don't really have to worry about it with that being said, going into 2023, I mean, we didn't know what we were going to see out of Topa. We didn't know what we were going to see out of Spire. Sure. Saucedo was relatively unknown. You know, there were a lot of question marks going into 2023. I'd have to look at their opening day roster again to really know kind of what guys to talk about here. Trevor Gott obviously was, meh. Mm-hmm. but I mean, going Matt Festa, Diego Castillo, Trevor Gott. I think I don't know if Penn Murphy was there because he was probably injured. But I those think are he got injured a little later. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But, but yeah, Festa Gott. Castillo or three guys off the top of my head that like very much so got replaced and it was fine the bullpen was fine replacing them and there's nothing wrong with that I think going into 2024 we have a better pulse of what this bullpen is going to look like with that being said we also thought Diego Castillo was still going to be good you know we thought Trevor Gott would be more or less what he had been throughout his career and Festa had been very hit or miss with the Mariners and he'd been DFA'd a couple of times so yeah whatever there Going into 2024, I feel like you can trust, you know, Gabe Spire. You can trust Sauce. You can trust the big three at the back end of the bullpen. And Trent Thornton, I think, will have a good year just because he's had time now to work with the Mariners pitching lab. Mm-hmm. I th- This roster, for the most part, is set. Like, I think that when you look at this roster, there are very few spring training battles, bar- barring injury. Very few spring training battles, except for maybe that last spot in the bullpen and... If the Mariners do randomly decide to either go with a six-man rotation or send Brian Wu down to double-A to start the season to manage his innings, which I don't think either of those things are going to happen, but it's possible. Relax. It's it's possible those things do happen. Maybe Emerson Hancock starts the year as your number five instead. More than likely, he goes down to to double-A, especially coming off of the injury and... You know, you keep him waiting in the wings in case there's an injury in camp or something like that. I would expect to see Emerson Hancock get a lot of leash in spring training this year just because the Mares want to see what they've got with him. When see if the shoulder fit. can hold up. Yeah, see if the shoulder can hold up. Hey, I would also not expect to see much of Brian Wu this spring training. Keep it light so that way he's mm-hmm. more available in the regular season. I think, I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me. I don't know about the double A thing you're you're yapping about. That feels a little a little off you base. You haven't heard people say that? No. It's been a pretty popular topic. Interesting. I <laughs> count me out on that one personally. I, I I agree, but Yeah. Yeah. I think that people might overreact if they see Hancock more than Wu in spring training, but it really will be just to manage innings with Brian Wu and make and see what they have with Hancock coming off of that injury. Maybe they bring him along slower as well, but I'm sure at the start of spring training, we'll see a lot of Austin Voth starts. We'll see maybe some Trent Thornton starts. He's stretching him out, yeah. Mm -hmm. Emerson Hancock starts. I mean, I don't know what's up with some of the other starters. You know, we might even see a Teddy McGraw start randomly. Who knows, right? It's spring training. The the main guys are going to be out by the third inning 
Yeah, at the start of the year, at the start of the season, and then they're not going to play the next game. So yeah. spring training is going to be weird. In terms of battles, kind of just wrapping this whole point up, I don't know. <laughs> the, a spot in the bullpen. It's the only battle I got. That was that was good. Thanks. That was a great little bow. Really bring it back. You, yeah. t- you tied on that one. And Colton mentioned Dom Canzone earlier as our final topic here. And in the Discord, it's a public Discord. There should be a link in the description. So if you want to join, click that. Mariners underscore underrated W name asked, what do y'all think of Dom Canzone? I feel he may be a hidden wild gem, which I mean, those are some adjectives if I've ever heard them. Mariners underrated underscore underrated. Thank you for your question. So Dom Canzone, some of his projections are kind of middling. And I think it's a lot to do with the availability for him just seeing action because prior to us trading for Mitch Haniger and, you know, trading for Luke Rayleigh. It was him starting in left and Cade Marlowe starting in right. There was a lot of, you know, those are the dark days of the Mariners offseason. And so his projections have been kind of cut pretty heavily due to just how much playing time he likely will see. So his steamer projections, he's only projected to play in 42 games, have 171 plate appearances, hit six home runs, drive in 22 RBI, 254, 312, 434 slash with a 108 WRC plus, only putting up half a win. So, I mean, in the limited action, in 42 games, giving us half a win, it's not bad. If he were to play in 84 games, that would mean one win. If he were to play, keep the math going, nope. 126 nope. games, it'd be one and a half wins, theoretically, you know, if if math holds true. And so I think that's a fair assessment for Dom Canzone in his, you know, second year, really, if you were to see that level of playing, to accumulate about one win, maybe one and a half if we're lucky. And his Zips projection, I think, shows that a little bit more. Projected 116 games, and I think that's just because Zips kind of allows the playing time to kind of come naturally to the players. And 116 games, 462 plate appearances, 17 homers, driving in 61 runs. A 246, 301, 425 slash line with a 101 WRC plus. So a bit more action lends to a little bit less accumulative, not accumulative, what's the number? Average stats? Averages? What those would technically be? Just because he'll eventually get more exposed with more time playing. And just under one win. Do you find those to be like pretty accurate for Dom Canzone? I think we'll probably find ourselves somewhere in the middle. Like, I, Do I think that he'll play in 100 and what was it, 16 games or something like that? Yeah, that's his probably one. Like, I don't think that he'll play in that many games unless Mitch Haniger or Luke Rayleigh gets hurt. But I am very high on Dom Canzone, and I think kind of everyone is, honestly, with what we saw in, in AAA and then kind of what we saw a little bit from him, especially that home run against the Orioles. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I think that Dom Canzone, especially if he won't look so stupid on a, on a left-handed slider. Okay. <laughs> no, if he can look a little bit more competent up there versus sure. like a left-handed slider, but overall, I think that Dom Canzone's a guy that I would like to see get 300 to 350 in terms of ABs. Like, I'd like to see him get quite a few ABs throughout the season, finding a way. Maybe he's a late inning guy that you put in there. I don't know if you trust his defense more than Mitch Haniger. I think I probably do, but I think that. If you're facing a tough righty on the mound and you want to get that matchup in there late in the game, you throw Dom Canzone in there and hope that you can get some of that magic back from him. Dom Canzone is a guy who, if he hits, if he is as good as we all think he can be, this Mariners team is going to go so much further than if he's just left-handed Dylan Moore. And I think that 
overall, if he sees 300 to 350 plate appearances, I would expect probably around, you know, 10 to 15 home runs, probably hitting 250-ish, mm-hmm. and with with probably right around a 300 OBP, is he going to fit into like a 100 WRC plus? I'm not sure. That will honestly depend on what we see, how how many plate appearances he sees, and which handed pitcher he sees them against. Because we all know that he looked ugly against some lefties last year. Honestly, against some righties too. He had some really ugly swings last year. Maybe he kind of puts it all together in 2024. Maybe he doesn't, and he's back down in the minors by May. Who knows? Like, Dom Canzone, I think it's the most, it's the biggest question mark on the Mariners bench this coming season. Because we all know, you know, you know Haggerty or more, sure. We've seen them for years. Seve Zavala, he can catch sometimes. Sure. He's not going to hit the ball, but he can catch. Mm-hmm. So, but Dom Canzone is, I think, the biggest X factor. Because if he hits the Mariners, he's going to take this Mariners team so much further than if he's just another guy on the bench who is hitting 200 with some sneaky pop once in a while. This is the hard part with adding an everyday DH. Because if, let's say the Mariners, instead of, don't get me wrong, I'm very excited to have Mitch Garver on this Mm -hmm. team. I think he's going to be a great fit. I think he's going to be a great leader as well. But because you added an everyday DH, you can't just throw Dom Canzone out in right field and put Mitch at DH one day. You can't. Like, unless you are willing to take Mitch Garver's bat out of the lineup. So I, I... It'll be interesting to see what the Mariners do because I would like to see him get more at-bats. And if that means he has to go down to AAA just so he can start every day, then it is what it is. But if if that means that... I would rather have him go down and start every day at AAA and continue to build on his success instead of stay with the Mariners, get one, like one to two maybe starts a week with yeah. the Mariners and otherwise see you know under 200 plate appearances... I think that's going to be worse for his development as a player sure. and worse for the Mariners in the long run. So while I'm excited the Mariners added Mitch Garver, and again, we've talked a lot about the injury possibilities with this team, I think that there's a pretty good chance that Dominic Canzone is in a starting role at some point this season, whether it's by forcing someone's hand or it's because of an injury to somebody. I think there's a good chance that we see Dom Canzone starting for the better part of a month at some point this year. I don't know how I feel about that, but I think there's a good chance that happens. And if you guys really want to know what goes into making Dom Canzone one of my, I guess, breakout guys in 2024, well, I made that video. It's on the screen right now. Go ahead and check that one out. We appreciate you guys watching episode 60 of the Hit It Here podcast presented by Bet Online, the Anthony Vivaro episode of the Hit It Here podcast, and go Mariners.